And over time, the stock market, to pick one example, has become gamified. And the whole thing, once you really understand the inner workings, and by the way, I've done a lot of interviews with people like um, uh, Themis Trading guys, uh, South Lucy and those people who talk about high frequency trading. And uh, you mentioned Ken Griffith and and they're a bunch of high frequency traders. And these are just like systems of computers that are geared to shave tiny pieces off of every transaction at the microsecond level, right? In some cases, even nanosecond because they've got their servers co-located on the floor. So by the time you and I take our fat thumbs and press a buy or a sell button, we are light years, literally, behind what the actual ecosystem of, of computers can do. But when you strip it all away, every hedge fund does nothing for society. They create not one good, they don't advance one service. They're skimmers. So we have this massive skimming operation, and of course we do, because there's huge amounts of uh, paper promise tickets of currency wealth kicking around there. And you give people an incentive to do very little work and skim a lot of money, they'll do it. Hello, Internet. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast. If you're enjoying this channel, the best thing you can do is like, subscribe, comment, and share. That's how the channel will grow, and that's how we can get on even bigger and better guests. Before we get started, I've just got a few short messages. First off, the first round of crowdfunding for my book has now come to an end. Thanks to everyone that contributed. But I still have about 12 or 13 spaces left for names in the acknowledgements. So if you want to pre-order the book and get your name in there as part of telling the wonderful story of the GameStop saga, you'll find links to pre-order the book in the description below. Next up, I have a few sponsors for the show today. Your internet browsing data is on show for governments, ISPs or bad actors to see when you fail to use a VPN to protect yourself. So. Why not try ExpressVPN, the internet's number one VPN? You can protect your browsing data from your internet provider and prying eyes by going to ExpressVPN today and getting 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN. Use it for privacy, safety, or just to watch Netflix shows from another part of the world. You'll be stunned at the amount of extra content you can access just by setting your location to somewhere new. Next up, I have a wonderful podcast to tell you about, but no, it's not this one. Rico and the Man is a New Jersey meets California, no holds barred podcast about the entertainment industry, where former college buddies, Rob Tregler and Peter Martino, both slaughter and praise Hollywood and the film industry. The two bounce really well off of each other, sliding effortlessly between childish banter and in-depth commentary and analysis. For listeners who love Kenny G, one of the latest episodes, Spider-Man, No Way to the Toilet, not only contains one of the funniest and most wide-ranging discussions of the highly anticipated new Spider-Man film, Why Does Doctor Strange Seem So Off in the Trailer? Will Tobey Maguire cameo in the film? And why the sheer number of other superhero films allows filmmakers to be more creative in the modern day. But it also includes music from saxophone legend Kenny G not to be confused with the hedge fund manager that Twitter was calling for the arrest of. Hashtag Ken Griffin lied. 
Rico and the Man covers the latest entertainment news while keeping a firm foot in the Hollywood that was. With special guests, best of lists, trivia and an attempt at comedy, Rico and the Man is the perfect distraction for your pesky priorities. You'll find links for everything in the description below. Anyway, here's the podcast. Here we go. Fantastic. I think that is everything working live. So, yeah, hello everyone and uh, welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I have the pleasure of talking to Chris Martinson, the co-founder and host of Peak Prosperity. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. It's so good to be here with you and all your listeners today. No problem. It's uh, it's a pleasure to get to chat to you. I mean, it's uh, you, you first came across my radar as I was kind of talking about um, when when I saw you on Tim Pool and then, as I said, we've I've I've just been been finding more and more that you're quite a reasonable and calm um, voice in this very very crazy world. So uh, hopefully you're going to assuage some of my fears or make me more concerned. I don't know. We'll see. Mm. <laughs> so are all our institutions now broken because of COVID? What do you think? I think our institutions have been broken for a while. COVID has revealed the extent to which they're broken. Um, it's pretty obvious. So, um, you know, I'm a systems thinker. Uh, I, I look at how pieces come together. I don't think we can analyze any one thing anymore and, and come away with a sense of what's happening. Um, and so my seminal body of work that I put together in 2008 is called The Crash Course. And there I, I systems view the economy, energy, environment, three E's. I put them in one spot. And I don't think you can really understand the degree to which our institutions are failing us until you understand how that system comes together. So when I say the economy is one of those E's, maybe your listeners um, can can uh, resonate with this. I start with with how is money created, right? It's a very simple process, It's but it's not taught, right? You could teach it to any fifth grader. It's, it's not hard, but it's never taught. And once you understand how money is created and the roles of central banks and how much currency, not money, money is a real thing. Currency is this fictitious stuff. They just sort of manufacture out of thin air and they pump it in. If you don't understand that system of money or currency creation, good luck trying to make sense of what an investment is, what's valuable, um, what wealth actually is. It's impossible, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an example, I think, until you don't, until you understand the system of currency creation, the system of banking, right? And it's got a lot of details under it. But if you don't get that, I don't know how you could possibly understand what's happening in the larger ecosystem of investments, investing, all of that, right? It's just, it's this foundational knowledge that, that's critical. So I put these three big pieces together and, and we're at a really critical juncture, not as US, not as UK, not as any citizens of any particular country. We're at a critical juncture for humans mm. on this planet. It's a really big moment. Right. And I look at that from a resource standpoint and resources, things like fresh water, uh, oil, um, food, the copper, lebdomum, lithium, things like that, that are really the, the, the foundation of our of our true economic um, output. And if you don't understand that system of resources and how currency is created, you're just blind at this stage of, of history. So our institutions, are they failing us? The Federal Reserve in my country could not be failing us more profoundly. They are creating claims by the trillions, claims, currency, 
debt instruments in, in the supporting of that, all these paper promise tickets, right? Which are things like stocks, bonds, derivatives, currency. And they're creating these claims and enabling a system that's piling up claims at an exponentially faster and faster pace. Meanwhile, if you wander with me over to the resource side, you find out the real economy, because what, what good is a trillion dollars on a pallet? Mm. If you're on a deserted island, it's just rocks. You'd trade that whole pallet of trillion dollars for a single banana at a certain moment <laughs> of your hunger, right? Yeah, right. Because the banana is the real wealth in this story. The rest of it are claims. It feels real and it's marketed to us like this is the real world, but it's not. These are claims and the claims always have to be in proportion to real stuff. And the world has figured this out so many times, right? They, they debased the Solidus down to 0.2% silver at one point. The Weimar Germany experience, they printed paper. We're Now we're doing electronic printing. And it all sounds good unless you realize those claims always have to be in relationship to the real stuff. And so many people think this is the real world and they've forgotten that this is the real world. And so that's what the collision is about to start and it's starting big time. And people are already experiencing the inflationary aspects of this. Um, this is really starting to bite. Eventually everybody remembers, oh, these are just the claims. This is the real stuff. And when they do, that's when hyperinflation starts because people suddenly realize I'd rather have a banana than a trillion dollars. That sounds stupid, but that's actually the cost of a banana in Zimbabwe at a point in time in their currency units, right? So it happens. And so my work in the world is to try and help people understand those systems, because once you can understand the system and understand, like in this case, currency creation, wealth creation, all of that in its relationship to real stuff, you realize you don't want to have all your eggs in this basket. You need to have some eggs over in the real basket um, because uh, that's the world we live in. So yes, our health institutions have failed us comprehensively. Our monetary institutions are failing us comprehensively. Our political institutions are failing. And my larger sort of reason for that, um, there's a lot of ways we can rotate this and look at it. I know you're interested in the fourth turning. I like that view. Another way to look at this, this is what happens, Joseph Tainter style, he's an author, wrote a book called Collapse. This is what happens when humans grow beyond their complexity ability to manage and think about the world around them. We've created wildly complex systems and nobody quite understands them. And so they default into their little worldviews and the Federal Reserve just prints more currency because that's what they know how to do. And the CDC tells people to wear masks, even though they don't have data to support that, but it's what they do. And everybody's just doing what they do. Unfortunately, we need people who have a broader systems view to say, oh, this these complex systems, they have some characteristics and they're either growing or collapsing. Unfortunately, that's kind of the, that that's banking, right? It's either expanding or it's in the process of collapsing. It's not really a, an awesome system, um, but it's the one we got. Unfortunately, it's being managed with uh, just a, a mindless devotion to this constant expansion. And so they keep growing in you know, the currency units. And very few people are stepping back and going, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Should we do that? And, uh, and so that, that's my work in the world is, is, is very, you know, probably too long of an answer for you. But I would just very quickly, I just need to let people know until you get the systems view and you understand grossly how these systems come together, it's almost impossible to make sense of any of it. Mm. No, uh, you're definitely speaking to something that's that's very accurate. I mean, 
uh, one thing that has been like a real eye opener as for me over the last year is so I've been writing this book about GameStop and about the the saga that's that's still unfolding. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen some of the drama that's happened on Twitter with Ken Griffin lied uh, was trending and there was some yeah I'm not going yeah, to yeah. yeah but um, so for me and I'm not alone in this I've seen many other people talk about this is that. I mean, I'd always suspected for a, for a long time that the world was very corrupt, um, that there was a lot of things being done, should we say, inefficiently. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until this year when I was kind of forced to really look at, at, at finance and the financial markets that, that I got a real understanding of just how rigged quite a lot of the economy has become. Mm-hmm. And that if other people could see this, it would be, it would be a big eye opener. And I, you, what, what you've said there is that it's become too complex, it's too much, and people just sort of revert to their own like worldview. Um, is 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 quite quite accurate, I think. In that, I mean, I've had the time to sit down and, and go through it. Like I'm I'm lucky in that sense, but most people don't don't have the time to sit down and you know figure out like the the inner workings of the US stock market or how global finance is you know skimming money off of every industry or there there's there's so much complexity there as as you've mentioned but do you think that's like necessarily the reason for collapse because the complexity doesn't put off everyone and it, it there's i think enough human ingenuity out there for us to to overcome that complexity or to manage it basically so why do you think that it is that the the people with the capabilities to do that haven't risen to the positions where they might be able to affect some sort of change Mm, that's a good question um so our system uh our larger cultural system it rewards some behaviors and punishes others just like every currency system rewards some behaviors punishes others right um and and so i'm a big believer in uh charlie munger's statement that if you show me the incentive i'll show you the outcome so we have a system that's heavily incentivized towards um and humans are wonderful at figuring out incentives right i mean if you go to like a supermax prison nothing comes in or out guess what there's still an economy in there right people are buying things maybe not with currency units but but one way or another there's an economy so no matter what the system is humans will find a way to game it right we're wonderfully good at that and over time the stock market to pick one example has become gamified and the whole thing once you really understand the inner workings and by the way i've done a lot of interviews with people like um uh themis trading guys uh south Lucy and those people who talk about high frequency trading and uh, you mentioned ken griffith and, and they're a bunch of high frequency traders and these are just like systems of computers that are geared to shave tiny pieces off of every transaction at the microsecond level right in some cases even nanosecond because they've got their servers co-located on the floor so by the time you and a statement that if you show me the incentive i'll show you the outcome so we have a system that's heavily incentivized towards um, and humans are wonderful at figuring out incentives, right? I mean, if you go to like a supermax prison, nothing comes in or out. Guess what? There's still an economy in there, right? People are buying things, maybe not with currency units, but but one way or another, there's an economy. So no matter what the system is, humans will find a way to game it, right? We're wonderfully good at that. 
And over time, the stock market, to pick one example, has become gamified. And the whole thing, once you really understand the inner workings, and by the way, I've done a lot of interviews with people like um, uh, Themis Trading guys, uh, South Lucy and those people who talk about high frequency trading. And uh, you mentioned Ken Griffith and and they're a bunch of high frequency traders. And these are just like systems of computers that are geared to shave tiny pieces off of every transaction at the microsecond level, right? In some cases, even nanosecond, because they've got their servers co-located on the floor. So by the time you and I take our fat thumbs and press a buy or a sell button, we are light years, literally, behind what the actual ecosystem of, of computers can do. But when you strip it all away, every hedge fund does nothing for society. They create not one good, they don't advance one service. They're skimmers. So we have this massive skimming operation, and of course we do, because there's huge amounts of uh, paper promise tickets of currency wealth kicking around there. And you give people an incentive to do very little work and skim a lot of money, they'll do it every single time, right? And so we've actually, you know, my, my critique of all this begins back with Alan Greenspan in 1987, when we had our first major crash and he wrote in and just dumped currency all over the place. And then, you know, Wall Street learned their lesson. They're like, wow, if you're going to fail, fail big because you get a bailout. <laughs> so you get, you know, um, this awesome thing. And then in 1994, most people are unaware of this, but there was a pretty decent dislocation in the corporate bond market. Again, Alan Greenspan said, not on my watch. And he wrote in with a very obscure rule. It's, not, it's totally wonky and geeky, but maybe you and your audience will like this. It, it was called the, um, they changed what's called the sweep rule. So the sweep rule got implemented, which allowed banks, you know, banks are supposed to keep a certain amount of currency in reserve. It's the whole idea that if everybody went to the bank at once, they would find their currency isn't there, right? Because they only have to keep some on reserve and the reserve ratio was 10%. Mm -hmm. So if a bank had $100 of your money, they're supposed to keep 10 bucks, right? In case you showed up and wanted your money. And so that reserve ratio was in, in, in forever. And Alan Greenspan said, geez, we have this corporate bond thing. We need banks to be able to lend a lot more money. What can we do? Well, the banks by law were required to keep 10% of your money in reserve in a demand account. That's savings or checking because you can demand your money right away. So the rule that Alan put in place said, oh, but what if banks at 1159 at night, they could sweep your money out of that demand account. So when they take the sweep, when when they take the reserve snapshot, which they do every night at midnight, when they do that, if your money wasn't in a demand account, but they'd swept it to a time account, which is called the CD. So they swept it into a two minute long time account, 1159 to 12.01, your money leaves your checking account, goes to this short term CD. They take the snapshot, there's no money in your account. Now they don't have to keep any money in reserve. Well, that was awesome. It solved a lot of things. They are able to loan a lot more money. Next thing you know, we got, we got uh, the stock bubble, which was the first big tech bubble, right? Along the way, 1998 long-term capital management blows up. Again, Alan Greenspan rides in, saves Wall Street from taking losses. Then 2000 happens, that blows up. And all of these things were, my my model for this is, I'm laying out a story, which is the Federal Reserve under Alan Greenspan, they had a a little correction steer, right? Which was 1987. And then the things really started to skid. So they had to correct back and they drove the other way. Now we're really fishtailing. That was 1994. They do the sweep account. Uh Uh-oh, 2000. Uh Uh-oh, you know, and we've just been going back and forth, one oversteer to the next, and then COVID happens. Mm. And now I've never seen anything like this, 
we went from what I thought was horrifying in the great financial crisis where the Federal Reserve blew out its balance sheet from 800 billion to about 3 trillion. That was just unthinkable, right? Yeah. And they've just done 3 trillion <laughs> in the last couple of years, right? And it's just like now we're at eight and a half trillion. It's just like it was just exploding. And now they're going to have to oversteer again in the other direction. We all know where this is going. This blows up at some point and it blows up miserably. And the people who get most hurt are the middle class, even upper middle class, all the way on down. That's just how this this game gets played, right? Yeah. But all predictable, all obvious errors, and every step of the way, you show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. With the Federal Reserve just dumping money in and all the other world central banks following along, because they kind of have to, you find you end up with a financialized, gamified, speculative economy that, by the way, if you read Will Durant's books about ancient Athens, you can read paragraphs that sound exactly like today. No different. People would spend their time instead of figuring out a better mousetrap or how to create more you know, goods and services. All these beautiful, intelligent people are over here playing games <laughs> with computers and microseconds and crap, right? But nothing gets created except claims, claims, more and more claims. Eventually, there's a day when all those claims, which are sitting in people's pockets, and people get the get religion again and they go, oh, I actually want stuff. <laughs> and they all try and head for the exits all at once, which is um, called I'll trade you my dollars, my pounds, my yen, my whatevers for anything of actual substantive value. And that could be Bitcoin because they think that's the next way to go or it could be land or it could be buildings or it could be corn or oil. It doesn't matter. But that day's coming. Mm -hmm. And I, sus I submit as we're talking about this here in early October, 2021, it's already started. Just pull up a, a chart of the commodity research um, bundle and, and it's just, it's we're off to the races. Yeah, yeah, we really are. Um, now, I, this, uh, I get the feeling we're not gonna get to half the stuff that I wanted to buy, that's fine. <laughs> uh, that's kind of how it goes with me, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 this is much better. Uh, I like going off the cuff. It, 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 it tends to seem, yeah, it, it flows better, so. The thing that I was thinking about just literally this morning um, was uh, something that really plays into what you've spoken about here. So uh, are you familiar with the term a bust out, like the, the private equity do, um, where they go in, They uh, it's basically what happened to a lot of companies like Toys R Us and Sears. And I had we call them an LBO then. Yeah, a leveraged buyout. Um, mm -hmm. A bust out is essentially then when that goes to extend all the lines of credit, uh, use up all of the money, uh, pay yourself big bonuses, and then like set the place on fire. It's a mafia term, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, but the, it became adopted in the financial world for this that practice. Um, so basically. I was wondering, have it, you spoke to, I was listening to your conversation with, with David Icke and, and this sort of, all sort of digest it this morning. I was wondering if you think that there's a possibility that we are watching a bust out of the modern economy by the global, like, I don't know what you want to call them, establishment class, elite, whatever. Like, are we watching them take as much profit as as they can out of a dying system and preparing to just sort of run away because you know they uh, all that's happened during the pandemic um in my mind is the rich have become richer and the poor have become poorer like that's the biggest effect for me um that mm -hmm. i see overall and and i was just thinking about this this morning so yeah do, do you think that's a crazy idea 
No, no, it's not crazy at all. Um, so, I mean, there's so many threads to this. The first is that um, if you look at how Western countries have treated third world countries, it's very well documented. You, you read things like um, An Economic Hitman by John Perkins or Disaster Capitalism by Klein. You, you, if you understand that there was a model out there, the shock doctrine, right, um, by Naomi Wolf, which says you go Naomi in. Klein. Naomi yeah, Wolf wrote in, The Beautiful Mind, I think. Naomi Klein, right. What did I say? Naomi Anyway, Wolf. thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just remember because right. you're not that you're like, I've heard several people make this mistake and I'm listening to shows and they're talking about, I'm like, give Naomi Klein credit because I want to marry her. Naomi brain. Klein, yes. And I even know her, so I should know this better. But you're right. Um, <laughs> I get my Naomi's mixed up apparently. So so the model is uh, you go in and you, you shock a country and then you strip mine its resources, right? And it's a very complicated process. Um I think that what we're experiencing is that we are at the end of the easy resources for the globe. There's no fat, happy countries out there that you can go and strip mine anymore. So what do you do when your model no longer has the fat returns from going out and um, beating up on a third world country? I think we're seeing the model just turned inward. It's it's come home. Um, and so maybe we should have been more critical of it when it was being used to disadvantage brown skin people. But I think this is what it feels like to live in a place where the shock doctrine is being run on yourself, right? It's confusing. Nobody quite knows up from down. Your rights seem to just uh, be turned into privileges that get stripped away. Um, you can't, the money just isn't there for you. The, the government tries to do handouts to keep you mollified for a while. It's, it's loaves of bread in Egypt, but it's, you know, universal basic income in the U.S. It's the dole wherever you happen to live. It's just, it's the model. So, I think that's what we're seeing right now is we're, we're feeling what it feels like when this model gets turned against yourself. But ultimately, it's 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 kind of like that old statement, which is the the last official act of any government is to loot the Treasury. Right. <laughs> this is feels like the sort of final stages of this big, giant period of expansion we had. It started to stall. They tried to keep it going by ramming interest rates to zero and keeping the currency exploding outward. But when you look at the real economy, which is driven by real things, oil and water and silver and copper, when you look at the growth in those things, they're not growing like they used to. They've stalled out. And that stalling process is a once in a species thing, right? <laughs> you know, our species is not going to be around long enough to see copper deposits reformed or oil reformed. <laughs> those are 100, 100 million year processes, right? So that's where we're at. it's a really giant moment in history. I wish people could see this. You got to get out of the noise. You got to back way up so you can see the forest, you know, mm -hmm. and this is a really huge moment. By the way, some countries are playing this moment better than others. So your local mileage will vary in this story. I'm really disappointed in the United States and Europe uh, for the most part. Some of Europe's doing a little better, but most of Europe are we're over here just like spinning our wheels with masks. Should we get, you know, these these uh, medical treatments? Because I, I know we're live streaming. I got to be careful which words I use. <laughs> Thank you, big tech. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so but China, ooh, they understand this process super well and they are busy scouring the world for resources. And they are decades ahead of, of U.S. and Europe in this particular story. So, um, yeah, I think things get really tight for people going forward and it's going to be, I, I wish I could, I wish I could sound the alarm more urgently, yeah. um, yeah. without scaring people. Cause I, it's really, it's a big moment. Hmm. 
that's a really interesting way of looking at, at the Chinese expansion into Africa with the Belt and Road Initiative. I had not considered that there was a that that was um I'd always seen that as a bid for alliances and backing on the world stage rather than a scramble for resources. That's a really different way of looking at it. Uh, well, if you're China, you have two options here if you need more resources. The first is you figure out how to build a blue water navy that can compete with the United States. Very expensive. The second is you build a land route. No navies need apply. <laughs> <laughs> Belt, belt and Road, but look at what just happened in Afghanistan, right? Just ultra humiliating retreat by the United States, how it was conducted. It really ought to be the subject of uh, massive trials and inquiries, but they're not. Um, and we left behind 85 billion of like really tasty hardware uh, in a mysterious sort of a way. Mm. And, um, you know, China didn't even have to evacuate its embassy and now they're all cool. And they bought like the last great copper deposit, the best one I know about remaining in the whole world, including across all of Africa's in Afghanistan, just sitting there. They got it. Um, and as well, now they have a land route to Tajikistan, which has 10% of the world's remaining or known natural gas deposits, which China needs a lot of. Um, so, so they actually on a resource basis came out way ahead on that particular misadventure um, for the United States. So, so when you look at that, if you once again, you can rotate this story and look at it from many different directions. But once you look at the resource story, a lot of China's moves make complete sense. And Europe and the United States make no sense. So Europe <laughs> right now, its natural gas shortfall is legendary right now, coming into the winter of 2021. It, you know, everybody, the only strategy the UK and Europe has is to pray for a mild, windy winter, you know? <laughs> and if that doesn't come to pass, there's actual chance of like legit, outages, shortfalls. Then we discover the degree to which energy isn't a resource. It is the master resource. Everything flows from energy. No energy, no anything else, right? So this is going to be a fascinating winter to see evolve. But, um, you know, with Russia, if you look at their, uh, there's been a 25% decrease in Russian gas exports from September 24th to October 3rd. It's just a two-week period. And they trimmed EU exports of natural gas by 25% on top of an already legendary shortfall. This is an astonishing thing unfolding right now. Right. I hadn't. I wasn't aware that the the gas crisis was that dire. <laughs> oh, in the UK, just this morning yeah. on on a on a per barrel of oil equivalent, because you can burn both and get BTUs. Natural gas this morning was trading at an equivalent of $230 a barrel for oil in the UK. Whoa, that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'd seen that we had had energy energy spike, energy price hikes, um, like serious price hikes. Um, but as with every problem that the UK is currently experiencing, it's being labelled as because of Brexit. Um, no, I'm sure that that's not helping the matter. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, that's 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 amazing to hear that we're in. Like this, this is what I mean, like about our institutions being broken. Like this mm -hmm. should be like the number one running story on the media. Like this should, it should be, be it. This should be like, like huge shortages across Europe. It shouldn't be like what happened at the Conservative Party conference, which is happening this week, or like who here Starmer or, or like 
opposition leader thinks should be playing James Bond. Like, because I know that. I know that he said that a woman should play James Bond, which is fair. I don't care, right? But the fact that that is something that's like was headline news and this isn't, it's stunning. It is. And, and, and it's, it feels like it's by design. I mean, like it, they can't be that ignorant and they're not. And trust me, there are really powerful high level meetings going on. But you and I and everybody listening to this, we live out here in the cheap seats and you can tell they, are, they, they don't trust us. So we don't get the real information. What we get is we get nudged. You have your nudge units in the UK. They've got them in Australia. We have them here. And a nudge unit is a bunch of psychologists working in concert with your mainstream media to nudge people in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And that's what they. That's how they operate. So once you can see the nudges, I've become very resistant to them. Actually, anti. They work. They work against me in, in a you know opposite sort of a way the opposite impact. As soon as I know I'm being nudged, I actually want to go investigate that story more closely, not less, right? So we've all been nudged to be very afraid of COVID. We've been nudged to to go and, and get the treatments. We've been nudged to away from the real stories. And that's how they operate. But you can feel that's the breakdown in the institutions you asked about. Why is it happening? It happens because when we're being BSed, we know it, and a lot of people detect it on some level, intellectually, gut, you know it, though. And once you know you're being lied to, your faith in, or trust in that institution goes away, right? So we've been lied to. They call it nudging. Um, I wish we could just be honest with ourselves. And right now in the UK, they should be really honest and say, coal is up 35%. There's legit shortages. They just shut power plants down in Germany because they didn't have enough coal. There's not enough natural gas in storage. We, this could be really serious, but they don't want to do that because they're worried. I don't know that people all run out to the store and buy stuff and create shortages and a panic will ensue. I think that's how their thinking goes. Yeah, But I instead, mean, I think we, we could be honest with people. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really helped ourselves in the UK with that kind of talk with uh, there was a small, tiny shortage of of petrol that was done right. because of um, some some there wasn't enough truck drivers basically HGV drivers to get get it to some stations so between like people panicking and the media talking about it being yeah a big Brexit related crisis it turned into an actual fuel for fuel uh, an actual fuel shortage because people all yeah. ran out and panicked yep uh, but no uh, it's a, that's a real thing no I, I get that i mean i understand sort of the dilemma but but you shouldn't have to get to the point where you have to lie about that because you're worried about people reacting the way they are this is this is foreseeable mm-hmm. so i'm telling you there's a big crisis coming for energy in the uk this winter unless it's mild and winter windy that is very avoidable mm-hmm. but not if you ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist and nudge people away from from looking at it more closely and there's nothing more damaging than an energy crisis. Nothing. Hmm. Well, nothing. Let's glow. Global warming. Give us a good, nice, warm winter. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah. And there's. Uh, I'm aware that that, that you you got to go. So because you're a, you're a busy man. So yeah, I just want to finish this with the the thing I I mentioned before we started that I wanted to talk to you about. So, um, David Ike was on your show and um. No, I plan to ask sort of more specifically why you haven't caught everything on YouTube, but I'm just going to guess it's because, you know, the big tech overlords say that it's not acceptable. <laughs> but 
your your interview with him i would encourage anyone listening to go check it out is really really fantastic um i i really enjoyed it um and basically he is alleging that all of the things that have happened over the past 18 months two years have been an orchestrated plan that is the coming to fruition of 40 50 60 years of planning by uh secret societies and the global elite basically is, is that's a yeah that's a short thesis of what he says so the mm-hmm. thing that i've been trying to figure out over the past yeah this this length of time is how much of this is being planned how much of this was maybe already there on the back burner and this is given like an opportunity to people to to put forward schemes that they maybe wouldn't have done otherwise because of like the the shock doctrine that we talked about earlier that sort of opens countries up to policies that they wouldn't have maybe been open to before due to yeah things are all right but when people are in chaos it's a little little easier to push things through and how much do you think this is just like off the cuff people in power going oh well we could slide that through and oh we could restrict a little bit of right to protest there or oh we can use that to cut down a little bit of freedom of speech there like how much is this planned essentially and how much do you think it's just sort of people trying to take advantage of a crisis that's a great question um I, I go back and forth, and I'm not sure which is the worst answer. Um, answer one is it's all planned. Answer two is it's not planned at all. <laughs> you know, it's like, like answer one at least says, well, somebody has a plan. Answer two is we're just, you know, careening our way through a disaster with, with nobody at the at the wheel. Um, so when I that think about worse, this, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, which which is which is worse. But um, it's clear that a lot of this has been planned right so uh the parts that are planned and of course there are plans right there have to be plans so i'll tell you from my perspective i'll just give you two statistics are very very quick and easy and i know that these statistics have to change badly over time and i know there's a plan around this the united states is five percent of the world's population and we consume 26 percent of the world's oil that will change over the next 10 years and what's going to happen is the u.s is going to get a lot less oil and that has to happen because it's not possible with almost a billion people entering the million middle class in India and China. They all want washing machines and they're going to have cars and they're going to have apartments. and Maybe they're more efficient than the United States model, but a billion people is a lot. Right. So so this this is I can there's a plan. Of course, there's a plan around that. Um, and, you know, we're humans, though. So we look up in the night sky and we see animals and things. Right. So we make patterns sometimes where. To, to, to tell us ourselves a story. And so I worry about that sometimes, you know, is there this big evil cabal of people, you know, really directing things? Because mm. like, uh, the big evil cabals do exist. It's they the, do. The extent to which they have control is the real question. That is the question. So I know they exist and I know they have plans. I know they do because, Josh, you and I, we would have a plan if we were in their shoes. Of course oh, you yeah, would. Yeah, 100%. I, I, yeah i worked with big corporations before they have plans they're not called conspiracies you know we're going to market and destroy our competition right it's just how humans are again incentives right um but i've been watching what's been going on at the davos crowd for a long time and these are the billionaires who are at least the front face of of that organization i don't believe we see everybody who's who's really you know powerful and influential in this story but the ones who are show up and they, they've got a website. You go to the website and they say, here's what we'd like to do. And so they say they want to do it. 
and then it's happening. And I'm the kind of guy who says, if somebody says they're going to do something and it happens, maybe they did it, right? So I know there are, are people out there and, who are thinking this through. And it comes again back down to resources. We simply don't have the resources for 7.8 billion people to all live like we do in the United States. Because I'm pretty sure you can't burn 300% of the world's oil. No, <laughs> I mean, it's not, no, no, no. You know, there's, and, and so there are plans out there for how do we manage this? And I, and I'm, believe me, the why of this, I'm completely 100% in agreement with. We have to come up with a new arrangement for how we're going to live on this planet. The how they're going about it, I don't agree with because the how for them is, well, we'll just sort of hide this. We'll not be honest. We'll, we'll use, exploit a, a particular set of, of situations to advance that agenda, right? And that to me, so I'm a scientist. I've tracked COVID really, really carefully. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that the combined responses of almost every Western nation in this regard has nothing to do with health or public health, mm. nothing. And I can prove that conclusively because if they did care about public health, vitamin D, everybody would have heard about it. You would have been told about it. We have tons of data that says it actually cuts all sorts of bad consequences by 50%. And it's a very easy thing to distribute and tell people about. Mm. And in fact, if they cared about racial injustice, they would also promote it because people with darker skins tend to have lower vitamin D because they don't get the natural source from the sun, particularly at northern latitudes. If public health was even a component of this, you and I, we'd get our packets from the government with our vitamin D. We'd be told about how to do this every night. We show would be explaining and reminding us, nudging us to take our vitamin D. And that never happens. So this isn't anything to do with public health. But it has been amazing for figuring out how to turn rights into privileges and strip them away to get people used to the idea that they have to live much smaller lives, that they're not allowed to travel, assemble, speak, talk, all kinds of things, right? So it's been magical on that front. I understand this not through the lens of public health. I understand this through the lens of what the next 10 and 20 years are going to look like. And by definition, they're going to, if energy is as bad as I think it is, this is going to be a really difficult time. Um, and so the extent to which people can understand that before it happens is the extent to which they can dodge that bullet. And by the way, very simple. I can, I can, you know, I got a lot. Let me condense it. We, we're, we're this is hard assets is the way forward through this. So these are defined hard assets that can't be printed gamed, rigged, otherwise cajoled into existence. Um, hard assets are the way that every society has sort of dodged the bullet that always happens when we get a little too big for our britches. We create a lot of games and claims and we have a lot of illusions that suddenly get crashed against reality. Reality in this story is, um, is the basics. It really is. You know, food, water, shelter, warmth. That's the bottom of the pyramid. Next up, um, you know, the, the goods that sort of flow off of that on and on. Um, so you get up to the top of the pyramid, which is just derivatives, puts, calls, options, futures, uh, <laughs> <laughs> games. We can all play the games and I, I get it. And I'm a game player. I get it, but that's not reality. So for anybody listening, it's like, it's time to get real. It's time to understand really honestly where your true sources of wealth really come from. Right. And, you know, in my work at Peak Prosperity, we don't talk about just financial wealth. We say there's eight forms of capital that you need to be wealthy in 
in order to really be resilient. And your social capital, super important, right? Your, your actual, the integrity of your network of people you know and how much you trust each other, ridiculously important in this story. Your material capital is important. Sure, you know, what do you have? Like, do you have a new car or an old car? Do you have a house that's well insulated or poorly insulated? That matters. Um, but honestly, in this period, the most important form of capital is going to be your emotional capital. And that's because people could have everything, but if they fall apart when a crisis hits, um, it doesn't matter. It's all for naught. So the ability to be emotionally resilient, to be able to control your emotions, to be able to be um, even keeled when other people aren't, is really, really uh, absolutely the most important thing. Uh, it's determinant for thriving. I'm not talking about surviving. I'm not a survivalist. I'm into thriving. But this is going to be really challenging for people who don't see it coming, who aren't ready in any meaningful way, shape, or form, and who otherwise say, oh, I don't have to think about that. I'll just, when the time comes, I'll get ready. No, you won't. You'll be out there with everybody else in a long petrol line freaking out. And you won't be ready. Um, so that's why I do what I do in the world is to help people see the system, hopefully see it before it it, it happens. Um, you know, so that you can you can skate to where the puck is. Right? There's this is a period of time when I think whole fortunes get destroyed and whole new ones get built. Mm. That's what this period of history is always about in human terms. Yeah. Um, but very few people can actually see it, and even fewer people can take action before it happens. It's just I don't know. It's part of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying in a nutshell is that it's not just about fuck you money. You have to have friends as well. Oh, <laughs> yep. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I, good point. I mean, I know some billionaire types um, and, and centimillionaires who, who are all about the, well, I've got my little place in New Zealand and I've got a jet and I've, you know, they've got a little mm. bunker, but they, they don't have really strong social networks and, and, uh, it, it really like who they, who they can really trust, you know, and who isn't just sort of hanging around them. that much money though. It's got it is. Be, it's it's got got oh no, it's very hard. Yeah. So here I am um, empathy for the billionaires. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, they need a lot of empathy. Um, no, but, it, but, but they will discover that ultimately, ultimately what matters most is the people who are around you, who you can trust and how even keeled they are. And then ultimately you know, the skills they have. Let's imagine it's like three years from now and things have really broken down and I have room for one more person in my private sphere. Mm. One guy shows up with hundred ounces of gold and a thumb drive with a lot of Bitcoin on it. And another guy shows up and he knows how to skin rabbits and make alcohol. You know, who's getting let in, right? 100%. So skills, <laughs> work on your skills. Everybody listen, this is the moment. Work on your, just try something new. Like I mentioned two things I know how to do, right? But amongst many other things, like knowing, watching it being done on YouTube and trying it once is a totally different thing. So I'm saying try it. Mm. Like just whatever you got to do, skills and making stuff and using your hands and failing and failing fast. Those are the keys right now. Yeah. Yeah, that feels like a nice place to leave it. Um, I hadn't expected us to get to that end, but um, <laughs> everyone, you heard it here first. The ultimate post-apocalyptic survival skill is going to be brewing alcohol. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I hadn't thought worse. about it like this, but seriously, <laughs> that is genius. You're going to, um, as long as you're not coming up against a tribe of teetotalers and they hit you when you're all hungover. Um, <laughs> 
you'll, you'll have to you'll have to plan your moments, right? Designated <laughs> drivers are still important after the world collapses. <laughs> Um, but Chris, uh, this has been like an absolute pleasure, uh, fantastic chat, and and I I've learned a lot actually in in just the the short period of my chatting, um, and I, I hope the uh, hope the audience have enjoyed it as much as as I have. So thank you. Um, do you want to like plug anything or point people towards stuff just before we uh, finish? Well, sure. So uh, yeah, thanks and great questions, and I really enjoyed this. Um, so for anybody listening, you can find me at peakprosperity.com. I'm all over Twitter and Instagram and all these other places. Chris Martinson is the name. So you can usually find me just with at Chris Martinson gets you to most of those. Um, but yeah, come by Peak Prosperity. We have there. Uh, it's a tribe of people, people who think this way. Um, and so the biggest value of the site is the all the other people who are there. Uh, just genius level folks who are all figuring this all out. Very successful. Um, and on average. So yeah, uh, come on by if you want and see what we're doing there. Um, otherwise, check me out at youtube or twitter or any of the other places awesome well um yeah i'll put links for everything in the description below i think there's already links for your website and your odyssey channel because i decided i wasn't going to link youtube <laughs> Odyssey, you're right i should have mentioned that because i am trying to migrate away from the big bad evil tech because they shadow ban me if not outright ban me all the time but yes odyssey and um yeah links are all in the description so uh chris uh thanks very much Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the video. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a comment for us in the comments below. Let me know what you thought and if you'd like to see more of this from the show. Thank you, and we'll see you again next time.